Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I have the awesome privilege of hosting this show and sharing with you some of the greatness coming from our community. Not only do we have some really awesome sports teams making headlines, but we also have some great Fortune 500 companies that call Milwaukee home. And we have some great nonprofits that are making a difference in our community, and people need to know about that. There are also some great things happening here in the way of research and development, so I think it's okay to toot our own horn and celebrate all these wonderful things going on. If you're intentional about looking for the positive things, you'll find plenty to celebrate, and it's contagious. So positivity has a domino effect, so let's focus focus on that. I mentioned that Milwaukee has made some great contributions in the area of research and development, so much so that it's putting us on the map. Today we're going to hear about JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, what they're doing to contribute to that, and then we'll hear more about how the Medical College and the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin are also making great strides in the area of research and development. Today my guests are Tanya Bisson, Executive Director of the Southeastern Wisconsin Chapter of JDRF, Carver Smith, who is the board president, and our own Wendy Bitter, who is our director of marketing at Ellen Becker. She also sits on the executive committee of the board of directors with Carver. What started in 1970 as a Philadelphia mother's vision to help her child struggling with juvenile diabetes has evolved into a leading charitable foundation and advocate of type 1 diabetes research worldwide, with actually more than 115 chapters in the United States and seven affiliate chapters throughout the world, dedicating $100 million per year to diabetes research. Pretty impressive. JDRF is the leading global nonprofit funding type 1 diabetes research. I'm sure Lee Ducat, the founder, never imagined such an impact. So tell us more about JDRF and in particular type 1 diabetes. First and foremost, thank you for allowing us to be here today. It's really exciting for us to be able to talk a little bit about JDRF, spread some awareness about type 1 diabetes. So JDRF, as you mentioned, is the leading global organization dedicated solely to funding type 1 diabetes research. Our area of focus kind of falls into three buckets. So we work in the area of treatment, prevention, and cure. And so while we support families who are newly diagnosed as type 1 uh, with type 1 diabetes, we work to actually raise funds that are then turned into research efforts that help in the treatment of type 1, in the prevention area, and then ultimately our ultimate goal is to cure type 1 diabetes. Okay. Now you're talking about type 1 specifically. Now my father had what we thought was type 2 diabetes because it was adult onset, so I'm familiar with some of the symptoms, but how does type 1 differ from type 2? So there's a lot of misunderstanding out there in regards to type 1 and type 2. So type 2 diabetes is certainly something that's more prevalent and more people know. Both types of diabetes disrupt the body's production of insulin. It's actually very common that people think of type 2. When they think of diabetes, it's usually type 2. And the things about whether it's age relation or diet or lack of exercise, some of the misconceptions, even about type 2, that's what most people are thinking about. Mm -hmm. Type 1 is very different. It's an autoimmune disease. Something at some point in time caused the body to attack the pancreas and stop the ability to actually produce insulin. In type 1 diabetics, you become insulin dependent. You have to get insulin shots to regulate your blood sugar levels and be able to use the sugar your body needs to have energy. Whereas in type 2, 
you're insulin resistant. Your body's just not using it right. And I think that's the simplest way. They're really two totally different diseases brought on by two totally different things. They really should have different names. Okay. And managing it, I imagine, is a challenge to say the least. And I know my dad really had to closely manage his condition and stay on top of it. But Carver, your daughter has type one. Can you help us understand what that looks like on a daily basis for someone living with it? Yeah, I'll actually take a half a step back for our, our family's journey. Like a lot of people, we didn't, we didn't know much about this disease. You know, you heard about it, maybe you thought you knew about it, but unfortunately my niece was diagnosed at age three, right around Thanksgiving. And my brother's a doctor, so I didn't give it a lot of credit that it really deserved. I heard it was manageable, right? That was a, that's a phrase you hear about type 1 all the time. It's a manageable disease. That's the one thing that gets me going if I hear that now. Because fast forward six months later, my daughter at age 14 was diagnosed on Father's Day. Mm. I was in denial. I saw all the symptoms, and I, I rationalized them all away. I thought, there's no way this is happening to us. So unfortunately, my wife, my mother-in-law, and some others who were starting to suspect some things, they were right. We tested uh, my daughter on Father's Day because my brother had all the equipment. And next thing you know, uh, we're rushing off to Children's Hospital. What were her symptoms? So she was first and foremost thirsty all the time. Okay. And really, you know, when you drink a lot, well, you got to go to the bathroom a lot. She was losing a ton of weight, but she was she grew four inches that year. So you know, rationalize that away. You know, I thought she was just stretching out. She got really, really tall and extremely thin. We go back and look at pictures now. We can hardly look at it. She looked. Gaunt. I mean, really, really sick. And then she was starting to get tired. Fortunately, we tested her before it got worse because the next step from that usually starts to get to the point of impacting organs and can cause sure. things like brain damage and, and other organ failure. Yeah. And again, she was 14 when she was diagnosed. So right. some of those symptoms you're talking about are not atypical for normal Correct. pre-adolescent right. maturity or whatever. When you especially know. at the end of school year when their schedule is yeah. changing and yeah. they're, they're eating more salty snacks. So I rationalize that away. I'm like, oh, sure. just because she's having all these school parties and things like that. Yeah. So, so the message would be if you suspect something or, you know, the intuition uh, follow through with that and go have them checked. Absolutely. And, and make from... sure the doctor does it sure. because it's a simple blood test. And okay. sometimes they get misdiagnosed with having the flu and they get sent home and say they have the flu. Well, a week later of trying to battle the flu when it's not the flu mm. can have really, really dangerous uh, repercussions. So to, to, to take it to that next step of your question was now we are immersed in this, you know, the next day we're at Children's Hospital learning about this disease and how to, quote unquote, manage it. But this is what managing looks like. Before she eats, she has to test her blood. When she eats, she has to give herself a shot of insulin. Fortunately for her now, it's through a pump mechanism that she moves around every three days, but it's still a big injection every three days. So she, is, she does not have a minute of her day that she's not thinking about her blood sugars. Every day, 24-7, she's thinking about it. Um, and, th- and then she has to, you know, f- between 5 and 20 times a day, she's pricking her finger to make mm-hmm. sure her blood sugar's in line, thinking about how much insulin she has to do and do the math. Every time she thinks about eating something, she can eat whatever she wants, by the way. Okay. That's different than that, type 2, right? Yeah, yeah. She can eat whatever she wants. She just has to dose for it. So now she has to go, okay, I'm going to have this muffin. How many carbs do I think that muffin is? It doesn't have a wrapper on it. So it's a constant guessing game. And uh, she loves the quote that, um, you know, the definition of insanity is trying to, is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Mm-hmm, well, the mm-hmm. definition of type one is doing the same thing and getting wildly different results all the time. Oh, so gosh. it's a constant guessing game yeah. rooted in science. 
And you never outgrow this, right? I mean, it's it's something that uh, your daughter deals with on a daily basis and will uh, continue to deal with as, as she grows older. Until JGRF helps cure the disease. Yes, yes, for sure, right? And this is something that uh, is very near and dear to us at Ellen Becker Investment Group because our, our very own Wendy Bitter, who is our director of marketing, uh, deals with this as well. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to hear from Wendy. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Tanya Bisson, Carver Smith, and Wendy Bitter, all of whom are representing the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, or JDRF. So we had talked about how this impacts uh, one of our own, Wendy Bitter, our Director of Marketing here at Ellen Becker. And so, Wendy, share with us what, uh, what, a, what a day looks like for you or how this has impacted you personally. Sure. So I was diagnosed when I was nine, uh, very similar to the story that Carver had shared where I started having symptoms of, you know, losing weight, being thirsty for a nine-year-old just wasn't normal. And uh, my parents knew right away. It runs in the family, so they knew what to watch for. Soon after I was diagnosed, my parents found JDRF and found this parent group that all had children with type 1. Over the years, I've become more involved and got on the board, really sharing my experiences with other families and being with them through their type 1 journey and as their children are diagnosed and taking on the disease. And as Carver said earlier, learning how to manage it, it really is an everyday thing. But it's it's been great to see technology advancement. When I first was diagnosed, I would have, I don't know, four to six shots a day. So different insulin types that you take during the day. Some would last for certain hours, some would, you know, a shorter time, some would last throughout the day. But over time and, and over the research that JDRF has contributed to, there are uh, many uh, tools. You know, there's no cure. It's, it's all tools. So I have tools like an insulin pump or I have tools like a continuous glucose monitor or CGM. And those are things that, that help you get by and help you manage. It's, it's just not a cure. And you had uh, told me once before about uh, a story with your family that I think it's important for people to understand uh, you know, how they can be sensitive to, you know, what other people are going through and to understand how it impacts their lives and how differently they have to lead their lives. Share that story with us, if you would, about your trip down to Florida. Sure, sure. So a lot of managing diabetes takes planning. The insulin can last for, you know, a certain amount of hours. Uh, how much exercise did you have? Are you dehydrated? How much stress have you had? How much, you know, there's so much. What did you eat? Uh, everything. So I was down on vacation and my sister had turned to me and said we're going for a bike ride let's let's all get on the bikes let's go and I looked at my continuous glucose monitor and it had a beautiful line of how my blood sugar had been it said I was I was 116 and it's perfect number I had worked hard for that <laughs> you're like 116 <laughs> but, they're, yeah, yay. Yay. but they're all going for a bike ride and that would be exercise and that would mean you know for how long and do I have to, do I have my bag packed do I have the sugar I need do you have this and so I just said, no, I'm going to stay here. This, mm -hmm. I'm good. <laughs> so it's, it's making those decisions or it's, you know, as a, as a parent, you get home at night after work and you're expecting to take the kids to a baseball game. So let's go, right? Get your food. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, it's raining. Game's canceled. 
whole night you got to shift on a dime and Mm. for most parents that's okay Mm -hmm, you know for us mm -hmm. it's like oh all right wait a second now what now we're going to be home now do (laughs) yeah yeah and and it so it's just it's constant changing and managing and and being ready to accept those changes and, and being prepared and I think it's important as I said before for people to understand that because I was living with it. As I said, my father had it. And, you know, all we knew about was that he had to take daily shots. You know, we didn't understand how it showed itself in other areas of his life because he really didn't share it with us. So to share that with people, I think, is important. It's also important to understand how this hits the community at large and also on a global scale. I mean, I had no idea that 1.2 million Americans are living with type 1 diabetes. 2014 statistics show that more than 18,000 youth are diagnosed with type 1 every year, and that's over and above the 5% of diagnosed cases in adults. So there's definitely a need for more research and development. So so, you know, what does what what does JDRF do in terms of resources uh, for these parents and these these families, these children that are dealing with type one diabetes? So, I don't think most people recognize or realize that JDRF is more than just a fundraising or we're more than just a fundraising organization. We are the frontline resource to when someone would receive a type one diagnosis. For instance, Carver's daughter, when she was at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, she received what's called a bag of hope. And this bag of hope is, in essence, a backpack, a blue backpack, a JDRF backpack, that's filled with a lot of resources and information on your new normal. Mm. And that is all funded um, through fundraising um, that's done through JDRF. And we partner with a lot of different uh, companies and vendors to provide all these wonderful resources to these families. And so the Bag of Hope is, in essence, the you are not alone. We're here to support you along the way. And once they receive this Bag of Hope, they fill out a form that, in essence, gives us permission to reach out to them and be able to provide additional resources. Once that form is filled out, we actually pair those families with outreach volunteers in the region. And we have well over 100 different um, volunteers across the state that are considered outreach volunteers. They are parents connecting to parents. They have a child with type 1 themselves, and they have been uh, further along in the process than that newly diagnosed family, but they're there to support those families along that journey. Yeah, I imagine that is so key. It is key. Yeah. And, and so, you know, while they're managing their new norm, we also provide resources for individuals like Wendy. And um, as an adult type one, you know, it's really important to get connected to other adults in that same arena. Right. Because right? we talk about juvenile diabetes. Yes. And it's really not it's juvenile. Not going it, away. It's type one versus type two, really. Exactly. That would be the comparison yes. versus and, children versus adults. Yes. And so we provide um, outreach events that are tailored to families like Carver's, um, maybe even littler uh, children and uh, toddler stage, school age kids, all the way to more socials that are uh, geared towards adult type ones. And that those groups of um, People get together on a consistent basis all around the region, and JDRF really supports those efforts, and we're the front line to providing those resources to those families and individuals. We recognize that we're out there doing all these wonderful fundraising events, and we're, we're trying to raise you know millions of dollars, dollars towards research. We're trying to find a cure. Mm-hmm. But people need to be supported right. in the meantime. And we're more about making connections, people to people, families to families, And then that fundraising will happen, 
naturally. And education. Education, You you talked about advocacy and how, you know, again, I said before how, yes, my father was a diabetic, but we didn't talk about it. So, yeah, we knew some of the symptoms, but we didn't know about some of the things that Wendy talked about. You know, we, so education is so key, I think. Education and advocacy. I mean, that's another arm of our organization. We do uh, go to D.C., uh, Wendy actually had the opportunity to be with me last summer um, while we met with legislators and t- and Wendy shared her story with our senators and representatives and and um, it it really painted a picture of what it's like to live a life as a type one diabetic and those meetings are important because we're talking about increased prices around insulin we're talking about not only quality of care but access to care so that's another arm of JDRF and then ultimately we're we're funding that groundbreaking research that's ultimately going to get us to a cure. So we have over 500 active research grants across the world. We have more than $2.2 billion committed in grants since 1970. Mm-hmm. And right now we have over 75 uh, JDRF-funded clinical trials underway today. Oh, that's all exciting stuff and, and great things to share, right? Mm-hmm. What do you wish more people knew about type 1 diabetes? You know, we've talked about a lot of different things here. We now understand difference between type 1 and type 2, but what do you really wish more people knew about type 1 diabetes specifically? We touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think the key is to understand what manageable really is. It's manageable. As my daughter said on the way to the hospital, it could be worse. Right. But manageable, it's a constant. I mean, she carries four and a half pounds worth of equipment with her every day. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is never, ever tell a type 1 diabetic they can't eat something. It will set them through the roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, the constant critiquing is a daily thing that happens in the world of a type 1 diabetic. So think about taking a test every single day, the same test, over and over again, and finding out whether or not you're going to get a passing grade or a failing grade. But you, mm-hmm. it's the same test over and over. It causes a lot of self-doubt self-judgment. It leads to depression. It leads to emotional distress. And that is certainly more common um, in people with type 1 and any kind of chronic disease. That's another, I think, something that people need to really fully understand and appreciate what what it's like living with this disease. Okay. Well, wow. I mean, we have so much to talk about, so much more we could talk about. We can't possibly cover everything, but the goal here is to plant a seed. Um, For those listening that want to get involved and support type 1 diabetes, what, what would they do? Well, I would encourage them to go to jdrf.org backslash S-E-W-I. That stands for Southeastern Wisconsin. That's our chapter. We have fundraising and um, outreach activities all year round. Uh, We have a fall walk at Greenfield Park. Think about 3,000 individuals in the Type 1 community coming together and um, for a huge group hug and walking around beautiful Greenfield Park. We have an annual gala in March. Um, It's a pretty awesome event. And we also do a ride to cure diabetes. There's five locations across the country that people can participate in. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm sure they can uh, Google JDRF or you have a Facebook page and websites that are um, pretty filled with great information. So people can visit that those places as well. So thank you very much, Tanya, Carver, and Wendy for... Thank you. Um, this thank has you. been great. Yes, this yeah. Really appreciate the opportunity. It's wonderful to provide that education, as we said, and, and just so people are becoming more familiar with, uh, with it. So thank you very much for being here today. We see how important research and development is and how one person's personal interest can have an enormous impact, uh, similar 
to Lee Ducat's concern for her son and how that turned into an almost $3 billion research foundation. The medical college and children's hospital are pretty much household names in terms of medical care, but what are they doing in the way of research and development? Stay tuned to learn more. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guests today are Dr. Suzanne Cabrera, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and Lynn Estacio, Certified Educator from Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Welcome to the show today, ladies. Thank you for having us. You're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. Glad to have you here. Most of us are familiar with Children's Hospital and the Medical College and the important role they play in terms of providing medical care. I mean, you ask anybody, and I'm sure they're going to say, of course, we're familiar with it, Um, and also in the area of research and development. I'd say that if you're a Packer fan, you more than likely are familiar with Max McGee, former Green Bay Packer who scored the first touchdown in the first Super Bowl. But I read recently that he would much prefer to be known for his contribution to finding a cure for juvenile diabetes. That is, is correct. Yeah. yeah. Max McGee's um, son was diagnosed with diabetes, and he has several other nephews and I think a brother also with type 1 diabetes. So that disease hit close to home. Yeah. Can you tell us, Susie, a little bit more about how the medical college and Max McGee come together for a common goal? Yeah. So the Max McGee Center is um, within the Medical College of Wisconsin, the Department of Pediatrics, but it's also um, housed within the Children's Research Institute, which is sponsored in part by the Children's um, Children's Hospital. So there's a lot of different players that um, touch on the Max McGee Center. And we're a center that is specifically focused on type 1 diabetes, trying to find a prevention for type 1 diabetes to under- understand what's going on to kind of drive the higher and higher rates of diabetes that we're seeing um, in Southeast Wisconsin, but all over the world. Yeah, we stated like 18,000 youth a year being diagnosed. Yeah, and it's crazy numbers. Yeah, and within um, Milwaukee, we have over 250 kids diagnosed every year through our diabetes clinic. So Mm. we're probably one of the larger diabetes clinics in the country, and we basically see a, a new family coming through every day with this diagnosis, and their life changed forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it really, it's very pronounced here in Southeast Wisconsin. So we want to represent that population and the prevalence well with the work we're doing. And it's nice that Max McGee used his platform, you know, for a much greater cause. You know, yeah, of course, people know what he did in terms of football, but, you know, to turn that around and say, you know, I want to be more known for, you know, contributing to finding a cure, right? Um, So the Malcolm College collaborates with Children's Hospital and JDRF with regard to research and education, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So what's being done in the way of education? So as Susie said, we see about 250 new families diagnosed every year. So we spend hours and hours educating these families. Type 1 diabetes is a chronic illness that requires a lot of Um, self-management. It's not just taking a medication. In fact, these families who have little to no medical training are expected to administer insulin four, five, six times a day. Insulin is a medication that nurses have a dual checkoff in a hospital. And now we want families to go ahead and administer insulin to their children. So they see us usually about 12 to 16 hours just in the first week or two. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, additional classes. So 
uh, they spend lots and lots of time learning to take care of their kids. Yeah, and we learned in the previous segments, uh, you know, Wendy, again, our, our director of marketing, uh, who has um, type 1 diabetes, had explained how it affects her life. Um, it affects it on a daily basis, you know, and what that looks like. So we understand, we get a better picture of that. Um, and then JDRF helps to support your research too, right? So it comes full circle? Absolutely. We want to make sure we're providing families with the most up-to-date and current treatment options. So, you know, things like continuous glucose monitors, insulin pumps, anything to help make it a little bit easier to manage your kids on a daily basis. Um, So a lot of that comes out of the JDRF research and money that they help with research um, or we're supporting. Um, And they also provide what's called a bag of hope, which is a backpack that families get when they're newly diagnosed. And it has great education materials. One of my favorite resources is in there, which is a book to help educate the families. But it also includes a little teddy bear that the kids get to bring home that has little patches um, from where they're supposed to inject their insulin. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you're dealing with some really young children in some cases, right? Right. We've seen kids diagnosed as early as 10 months. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the youngest kids are those that are... Um, being diagnosed more and more often with type 1 diabetes. So it's increasing at about 2 to 3% per year. Mm. But the kids less than five years of age are having the highest rates of increase. So it really is affecting the youngest, most vulnerable kids. And you can imagine if you um, have a young toddler who has very sporadic play, activity, and eating, might still be breastfeeding, mm-hmm. trying to manage type 1 diabetes around that is a huge task. Wow. So, so the need for research and development is ongoing. I mean, it, it, and, and, you know, the, the goal of your partnership with JDRF is so crucial and what it allows you to do. I imagine there are a number of unforeseen benefits in that partnership, right? Absolutely. Um, having a child with type 1, it's, you feel really isolated, um, not having people know exactly what... Um, you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. If they don't know somebody with type 1, they don't see that it is something that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, 365 days a year. You don't get a break from it. So we have, they have a mentorship program. So it allows families to make connections in the community. And some of those connections are so valuable to our patients. And we hear wonderful relationships that come out of that mentorship program and the JDRF events that they hold. And then it just gives you that extra level of support and somebody else to ask questions of. We can definitely help with the medical training for the families, but they need that emotional support as well. Mm. Now you are a a nurse clinician, and you are a certified diabetes educator. Correct. Um, is there a particular reason why? Do you have a connection there? I had a grandfather that had diabetes. Uh, it was, and I worked in the ICU at Children's previously. The DKA admissions, the diabetes patients were some of my favorite patients to care for. So um, it was definitely, I generally wouldn't have chosen a clinic position. Um, the research, the technology, all of the changing, uh, it, it was something that I was passionate about. I really enjoyed the population. Yeah. Um, and I love to see these families that are dealing with so much in the beginning, how far they come. And you have such a close connection to these families, spending hours and hours educating them. So it's great to see um, they come in with like deer in headlights and yeah. they end up in years being advocates with JDRF working, being the mentors, um, 
doing the walks, raising funds, and being really active in the community. It's great to see those relationships build. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, the the education piece. We talked about that in the last segment because Wendy and I had a conversation uh, in the past when I told her my father was a diabetic, and I said he was a type 2 diabetic. So she started asking me questions, you know, what what was it that he had to do? And and she said, you know, maybe he wasn't type 2. Maybe he was actually type 1. And so she said, so much has changed in in the last number of years in terms of education and trying to understand how type 1 differs from type 2. So I imagine it's so crucial to have people like yourself out there educating uh, in the area of diabetes and, and how it affects families and individuals uh, on a daily basis. Um, we talk about collaboration on the show and how it works for the benefit of everyone. And we can certainly see this concept in action with these three great organizations. I want to spend a little more time discussing research specifically and the importance of it. So we're going to take a quick break here, but stay tuned to hear more about what uh, about that topic from Wisconsin's largest private research institution. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG. Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Suzanne Cabrera from the Medical College and Lynn Estacio from Children's Hospital. They are my guests today in the studio. The Medical College is the largest private research institution in Wisconsin and has over 5,000 employees, including 1,500 doctors. Impressive. And in pediatric research specifically, they are in the top one-third of all U.S. medical schools in NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health, uh, in terms of research support. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We should celebrate that and all the wonderful things that you're doing on a national level. Um, so besides JDRF, and that's uh, wonderful, all the, one, uh, the great things that you're doing there, but what are some of the other kinds of research that uh, the Milwaukee uh, Medical College of Wisconsin does, both locally and nationally? Yeah, so MCW is um, involved currently in over 500 uh, clinical trials. So those are trials that span any sort of disease state from cancer to autoimmune diseases to um, health disparities research, trying to even the playing field for um, people with chronic conditions. Um, so huge amounts of clinical trials. However, there's a ton of research being done in basic science labs across campus too, doing the work behind the scenes, um, you know, and the test tubes and the um, animal studies, et cetera, to lay the groundwork. And then what's so awesome about by, about being in an academic medical center is that we have people doing the basic science and then we have clinician scientists like myself who are able to take those findings and those interesting things and take them right into the clinic um, to start trying to make our care of our patients better, to make sure that when we're taking care of our patients, we're giving them the best, the most, um, you know, the, the with the most evidence, with the, you know, best results that we're able to kind of really advance things. So that's what's great about being, um, you know, a member of the Medical College of Wisconsin is that we have the basic science and we have the clinical research going on. So there's many, many areas of research, um, you know, just spanning across multiple departments. Okay. I mean, again, I think we need to toot our own horn on that. I mean, we're, you know, what puts us on the map, you know, a lot of the cool things that we're doing. I had read that um, uh, right here at, at the uh, MCW where we were the, we, 
they came up with the first scuba device I know. used to prevent the bends in 1930 and the Milwaukee brace that was used for non-surgical treatment of scoliosis, the Milwaukee protocol, which was the first successful treatment of rabies in a human, mm-hmm. concussion research for the NFL, genomic sequencing. I mean, all these things are really cool things. And again, I don't know what other locations are doing, but this is the kind of stuff that puts us on the map, right? So, but how is all the research funded? So um, funding for research comes from a few different places. Um, National Institutes of Health is a big driver. That's, you know, federally funded grants. There's also um, foundations such as the JDRF or the American Diabetes Association or different cancer organizations that fund research. Um, But actually, a third of all research is funded by private donors, so philanthropy, hugely important. Um, The research climate is not great right now with um, applying for grants to the NIH. Only about 10% of grants are funded. So nine times out of 10, you could have an amazing idea and have done all this work, and it's just not going to go anywhere. Mm. So private donors, the foundations, um, these organizations really provide us funds to keep moving forward to bridge those times when we're between, you know, the big, the big NIH grants, but they're critical in getting young investigators with great ideas off the ground. Um, And again, if you're between grants to have um, private donors or other funding just keeps the momentum going, allows you to continue to generate data and reapply for those big grants. So um, there's really many ways in which research is funded, but all of them are extremely important. So, and it's nice to do these kinds of things to educate the public because there could be somebody out there that this topic really tugs at their heart and they have resources, you mm-hmm. know, time, talents, treasures that they can give and they want to align those passions with an organization that they can really get behind. And mm-hmm. so, you know, without all the, the, the private donations, all the great research that you've done and continue to do couldn't happen. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's crucial. Okay. So for those interested in doing so, how can we donate to support the research of the Medical College of Wisconsin? So there's several ways. So you can, um, you know, support organizations that kind of funnel into areas that you're interested in, like the JDRF that funds our type 1 diabetes research. You can go directly onto um, mcw.edu's website um, and just click for donations or um, giving. I think it's backslash giving. And actually, you can be connected to various investigators. You could talk to you could, if you say, I'm really interested in research about type 1 diabetes or this specific kind of cancer because it touches my family, um, they will connect you to investigators and researchers in, in that area and try to find a fit for you and how you can support um, what they're doing. And we're happy and love to talk to people in the community to get our message out, to talk about the important work we're doing and drum up excitement. So that's always an option. So going right to MCW, going to the Children's um, Foundation is another organization that funds research um, specific to Children's Hospital. And that touches a lot of members of our my department of pediatrics. So there's many different ways to do it. I think um, just going online and doing a quick search through MCW will get you there. Okay. And again, that collaborative piece is important, you know, to know that you guys are all working together mm-hmm. for the common goal. What about um, children's in terms of people wanting to donate over and above what uh, Susie just discussed? So children's always has a walk um, annually that you can participate. And if you raise funds that way, you can certainly designate it to a specific area of interest, just like you can with research. Um, there's a children's hospital foundation and they 
um, you're allowed to, again, pick a cause that you're very passionate about. So if it is diabetes, you can designate funds to support the education program, um, making sure that that money is used in a way that you're hoping it's used. Okay. Okay. Um, Again, as we said before, so much information to to leave with our audience. We're not going to be able to get to everything, but we want to be able to plant a seed and we want to leave a message with our listeners at the end of the show. So before we go, I want to give each of you a moment to tell us what you think is the most important takeaway from our discussion today. So I would say that there's a heck of a lot going on um, at Medical College of Wisconsin, specifically type 1 diabetes research. We're known internationally um, for our work in type 1 diabetes. So my my main message is to say that um, we really rely on private donors, philanthropy, et cetera, to fund our research. But where the rubber really hits the road or meets the road is an active participation in trials, clinical trials or research. That's why we raise money. That's the only way we move the needle forward. Our families kind of going above and beyond, coming in for research visits, um, filling out surveys, giving, you know, blood samples, et cetera. And within a given disease state, you know, we need people with the condition. We also need people who um, may know someone with type 1 diabetes but are actually healthy. Those are healthy controls. Or that's how if we have healthy people, we are able to see what's going on in diabetes, right? We need a comparison group. Okay, sure. So, um, and we deal with pediatrics. So we need kids um, who, you know, friends, schoolmates, et cetera, to come in and help us kind of move forward. So they're really participating in research is the way that we advance things. So donations, funding's awesome, but please don't forget that we we need you guys to participate. Um, It's the only way we're going to prevent and cure diabetes. Um, And so we hope that we're building an infrastructure here at the medical college and within Children's Hospital to make all these research um, projects you know, possible. So we have our own research going on. And because of our success locally with our own research, we're now being invited um, by the JDRF, by different organizations, really, um, you know, international groups. We're, in, we're being invited to be a site to participate in those research studies. So my goal is to um, have patients who want to participate in research in Southeast Wisconsin be able to do it here. There's no reason for them to have to travel and be inconvenienced. We want to represent our population here and be really a part of advancing science, finding a cure for type 1 diabetes. We can do it here in Southeast Wisconsin. Yeah. So we can sign up for we research. Can we yes. can do it. Yes. yes. Lynn, what about you? I would say as the educator, I'm going to say just to stay informed, especially if you have a loved one that is diagnosed with diabetes. Um, I think about 90 to 95% of the people in the country that have diabetes have type 2. So unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions. And we hear that message so often that families feel judged. They feel mm-hmm. that their family members, that do they fed them wrong. They gave them too much sugar. It was something that they had control of. So remembering that it is autoimmune. Um, Susie's research hopefully will help us figure out, and JDRF support will help us figure out what is actually causing it. But we don't know the cause at this point. But we know that it wasn't the parent's fault. It wasn't the child's fault. And I think that's what we need to do is we need to make sure that people stay educated um, and have empathy for the families and support their families rather than judge them. Yeah, very well said. I think that's very important. Thank you. 
I want to thank all my guests today, Tanya Bisson, Carver Smith, and Wendy Bitter, all representing the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and Dr. Suzanne Cabrera from the Medical College of Wisconsin, and Lynn Astacio from Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Thank you for all that you do in the way of diabetes research and research and development in general. Thank you, uh, everyone, for sharing how you're making a huge difference in the world in the way of diabetes education and research. Uh, and if, if any of you listening out there would like further information about what we talked about today, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or we can you can call our office at 262-691-3200. If you're not in the car or you don't have access to a radio, find some other form of media to listen to our show. You can use your laptop. You can tune in via the iHeartRadio app can even ask Alexa now to play WISN AM 1130. If you miss a show, you can just visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired interviews. And we're excited to announce that shows are also available now on demand on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you do not currently listen to podcasts, simply download one of these applications to your phone and search for Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. Select an episode and enjoy. Join us next Sunday morning to learn more about some great people and great nonprofit organizations that are doing great things in our community. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.